Hello, everyone. It's February 2022, and this is episode 15 of The High Ground, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's official podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. This month, I had a unique opportunity to visit with members of a very special team that took me back to my roots as a ground-based mid-course defense missile crew officer with the 49th Missile Defense Battalion and 100th Missile Defense Brigade. These soldiers represent the brigade's Missile Defense Operations, or simply MD Ops, team. For all intents and purposes, they are also the Brigade Operational Readiness and Evaluation Team, although they haven't used that title for quite some time. And again, their scope extends well beyond that. The MD Ops Team Chief is someone I've known and worked with for a little over 15 years now, Major Jason DeLang. 2005 it was when I graduated the GMD Operators course and PCS to Fort Greeley where JD was our Seaburn NCO, but shortly thereafter received his commission and became a missile crew officer like me. The team's deputy is Captain Sky Robinson. I've known him since about 2015. Sky was a former public affairs officer looking to become a missile defender. I was a missile defender looking for another opportunity as a public affairs officer, so the Colorado Guard and 100th Brigade decided it was a good trade. Me for Sky. Jury's still out on which organization got the better end of that deal. Personally, I'm jealous he has the cool job I once had on the evaluation team, and he's jealous because I get to talk to astronauts. So it's all good. The third member of the team I talked with was Warrant Officer 1, Caroline Dominich, the brigade's command and control systems integrator, as well as MD Ops team member. Dominich also followed an eclectic path to where she is today, from military intelligence specialist with the Puerto Rico National Guard to military police NCO and later GMD crew member with the 49th Battalion at Fort Greeley, Alaska, then becoming a warrant officer and transitioning to the 100th Brigade in Colorado. Is your head spinning yet? Welcome to the National Guard and ground-based mid-course defense where eclectic career paths converge to form a diverse and highly experienced operations team. Stick around after the music change here in a second to hear how these soldiers ensure the combat readiness of crews operating a system we hope we never have to use. The 100th Missile Defense Brigade, headquartered in Colorado Springs, Colorado, operates the ground-based mid-course defense system and functions as a component of the Missile Defense Enterprise of U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command. It is a role they have fulfilled for more than 15 years. The GMD mission is the ultimate defense of the homeland, conducted in support of U.S. Northern Command and manned by U.S. Army National Guard and active component soldiers in Colorado, Alaska, and California. The 100th Missile Defense Brigade is tasked with conducting a presidentially directed national security mission to defend the United States against the threat of intercontinental ballistic missile attack. Soldiers of the 49th Missile Defense Battalion operate and secure the ground-based mid-course defense system at Fort Greeley, Alaska, and are an integral piece of the Homeland Defense Mission to protect the U.S. from intercontinental ballistic missiles using ground-based interceptors. The 49th Missile Defense Battalion shares the same presidentially directed national security mission to defend the United States against the threat of an ICBM attack as its higher headquarters, the 100th Missile Defense Brigade. Today, we'll be hearing from three members of the Brigade's Missile Defense Operations, MD Ops, team. 
Major Jason DeLang, the team chief, Captain Sky Robinson, deputy, and Warrant Officer 1 Caroline Dominich, C2 Systems Integrator and team member. We'll start off with Major DeLang as he explains the primary roles and responsibility of the MD Ops team. The purpose of the Missile Defense Operations Team at the 100th Missile Defense Brigade is working with our mission partners, primarily for evaluation, certifying our crews. The other purpose of our team is to do the research, development, tests, and evaluations. So uh, it keeps us busy. We're, we're constantly going through the certification, whether it's semi-annual requirements for our crews, both at the brigade, which we get them to the table seven level before G37 will come and do their table eight. But then we also travel to Fort Greeley, Alaska, where our battalion's located, and we are the certifiers for the battalion crews up in Alaska. And even though it's a, a semi-annual requirement, personnel changes, there's a lot of things that can drive the need for us to travel up to Fort Greeley more than twice a year. Typically, what we do is forecast probably four times a year quarterly. We're going to have to go up there for various reasons, just to make sure that the crew is trained with with Table 8 certified operators to pull off their 24-7, 365 mission. Beyond the five, five soldier crews in both Colorado and Alaska, Major DeLang explains that the MD Ops team also works to train and certify additional personnel from the brigade and battalion staff for a variety of reasons. And then if COVID taught us anything is you need a bench. We would have never foreseen that we could, We were, the need would have been, you start playing the what ifs game. What if a whole crew goes down for whatever reason, whether it's a car accident and they're carpooling out there. We don't try to figure out the why. We just need people ready to complete our mission without having any type of degradation. Warren Officer Dominich explains a little about the type of person and personality traits that are important for an MD Ops team member. Usually the RE team members or the MD Ops in our case, um, they have a variety of personalities. Um, usually they are your most experienced and they have to be motivated to do this job. It is nonstop. If we're not doing an evaluation, we are doing research and development. We're also um, researching for changing TTPs or updating them. Also, we're working on, on all our living documents like the TCs, that is constantly updated. So behind the scenes, well, we're doing a lot. Um, so they have to be highly motivated. Captain Robinson also added on what he believed were the essential elements of a good MD Ops team member. Being a good operator is uh, one of the most important, but not the entire, uh, entire thing that we're looking for. You also have to be able to train the, the next operators. You also have to have the backbone to be able to go out there and tell people when they're wrong and they're doing something incorrectly. Uh, and that can be very challenging because you have to have the mental agility to understand if they're doing it wrong or if they're just doing it different than how you would do that. But we often talk about the, uh, the science and the art of being on the system. And, you know, we, we have our tactics, we have certain things that, you know, is the science part and you have to be able to do these certain things, but there's an art of how you get there. Uh, different operators, you know, are going to do things slightly differently. And we always say that there's, you know, 10 different crews and there's 10 different ways to get to the right answer. 
From my many years as a crew member, one of the things that still stands out to me was the reaction and comments made by observers, distinguished visitors, and so on, who were able to watch GMD crews conduct crisis in combat, that is, missile attack and defense simulations. They often said things such as, I thought the computers essentially did everything and the soldiers pretty much were just there for reporting to hire and releasing the interceptors. And that's the next point that Captain Robinson addressed during our discussion. Although strongly aided by the GMD Fire Control System, or GFC, during a real-world utilization or simulated crisis in combat, it is a very dynamic and human-intense operation. So the, the GMD system as a whole, it's very complex in the fact that you have many different components that are all feeding into a fire control system. So you have uh, everything from uh, space-based assets to ground radars spread out throughout the entire world, and they're all feeding data back to this fire control system. How that information is presented can look different based on a, a lot of different factors and even you know the geometry of what angle you're looking at a certain object uh, can dramatically change what you're seeing on the fire control system. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really important for the operators to be able to see that information in a lot of different ways. E even on the training system that we see the same run that's presented uh, in a lot of different ways to the operators. Every time you run it, you'll see something different. It will, we always call it the, the Monte Carlo effect of one thing affects, you know, many others as it goes through. The simulations that we train on are not a static line of data that we receive and you see X and you do Y. It is uh, constantly, you know, a dynamic feed that changes even each time that you run it. Um, we, we talk about that from the evaluation side that we'll see a particular scenario present one way for one crew that we're evaluating and the next crew sees something completely different that maybe, you know, nobody else has seen. But that's part of being able to adapt to what you're seeing and be able to identify that although it looks different and you're seeing some different indicators, that it's still the same and being able to identify those. And it goes back to the art of the system, being able to understand not just what the system is telling you in black and white, but what the system is trying to tell you and being able to take that data and interpret it so that you can make the right decisions. So yeah, not something you can learn and perfect overnight. Perhaps three to four months from being assigned to the unit to get through the school and through your first certification, but more like three to four years to really perfect the craft. And to be an evaluator, that's more like five to 10 years in most cases. For reference, the combined GMD system time between Major DeLang, Captain Robinson, and Warrant Officer Dominich is 35 years. And that brings me to the next part of our conversation where I ask Warrant Officer Dominich if the 149th both National Guard units with a small contingent of active component soldiers at the brigade only was a benefit or hindrance to maintaining the high standards of expertise required of GMD missile crews. So the, the beauty of having National Guard members uh, be part of this program is the amount of time they can spend in, this, in the system and learn from it 
myself, I've been in the program 12 years, but only in console eight. Um, but during those eight years, I have learned so much. I've gone through uh, different positions in the system. I've also uh, gone to different softwares. So I have learned the behavior of, the, of how GMD software changes through time and how it evolves because it's dynamic. It always evolves. You can get a lot of time of a na on a National Guard soldier and that soldier can learn so much and can be can move to different positions in the battalion and the brigade and spread that knowledge and teach other soldiers um, about the system but you also have your active component soldiers you can have them for two three four years and some of them they progress and learn so much from the system that they can become SMEs in the system. We we have an active component soldier, uh, Sergeant First Class SAS. He's a perfect example of how much you can learn in a very short time if you're motivated to it. But for active component soldiers, we can get a very short amount of time. With National Guard soldiers, you can get in a longer time. You can mold them and you can continue using them as SMEs in the system for very long periods of time. Throughout my 28 years in an airman and later soldier, I've seen crews established and trained in a number of different ways. Sometimes new operators go to sort of a training crew that is staffed exclusively by the most senior crew and trainers before they go on to, air quotes here, regular crews. In other cases, crews across the board are a blend of experienced operators and new operators alike. For the 100th and 49th, the latter is the case. After the occasional crew reshuffle due to things like PCS or a new graduating class of operators, some of the crews have to get from that basic certification to a smooth running crew that not only meets standards, but exceeds it. And from my experience, when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. Major Jason DeLang explains. So there's a couple things when we put our crews together. First of all, we have seasoned operators that have been doing it for a couple of years. And then we have operators that just are freshly uh, coming out of school. So you're looking for that balancing act of not only individual tasks, because everybody, you know, you get to that individual certification. Yeah, you know your job, but how do we integrate that into a collective certification, being part of that crew and working together as a team? And as evaluators, we, we always look at each other. You know it when you see it, it's hard to explain it, but it's a, it's a rhythm through the battle because each operator has things that they need to see, they need to announce to the crew, they need to give it to either the director or the deputy uh, so they can make decisions. The deputy usually manages the crew, takes that all that information and makes the recommendations to the director. Um, as those reports are going in, it, there's just a battle rhythm to those reports going and a, a crew that hasn't been together, they may pass their certification, but they're not really playing all their instruments together in a band. It's just a bunch of noise. Uh, when, when they all are, are really in sync, you can just hear it. Nobody's talking over each other. Reports are succinct timely they get what they need they hear it the next person goes and you just sit back and you watch it and and you're just like mission accomplished this this is what right looks like right that's why we're here to get to that level and it's a beautiful thing i'm like beautiful music it was i've said to the the brigade commander it was it was poetry in motion last night at the certification sir because that's you know it when you see it and that's what we really strive for we're always trying to raise the bar 
Early in the conversation, Warrant Officer Dominich described the qualities of a good MD Ops team member and some of their duties and responsibilities. I followed that up later with a more personal line of questioning. Do you like your job? Are you proud of what you do? And if you look back five or more years ago when you first became an operator, did you think you would make it this far? If I look back five years ago and and knew what I knew today, where I am today, I will be first surprised because I never thought I would reach where I am today. And second of all, very proud. I love what I do right now. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the system. I was curious about the system. I wanted to learn more. And learning more and getting more knowledge about how the system works slowly but surely got me where I am today. I, I went to staff, I went to the Master Gunner course, and now I'm here uh, with this great team as a warrant officer. And I continue to learn every day this, like from them, from the system, it's from the people, because there's so much this this program has given me, and I'm very proud of it where I am today. I'm very proud of the people I work with as well. I want to thank JD, Sky, and Caroline for visiting with me here in Huntsville, bringing back many fond memories. To close out, I picked on my two favorite old GMD warhorses, Captain Robinson and Major DeLang, to leave us with something memorable about the MD Ops team. You know, our certifications are not easy to pass. Everything is held to the 90 and above standard. We want to make sure that in a no-fail mission that they have every tool, every um, every piece of information that we could give them. For the MD Ops team, I think at the end of the day, we have to have that confidence that the people sitting on crew are capable and able to defend our families. And, you know, on, on the worst day, if something happens and we need the uh, crews to protect against uh, ICBMs that we want to have that confidence that they're going to make those right decisions. So in regards of the MD Ops team going up and certifying crews, I got great advice early on as in my career as an officer, protect your signature. So even though after we go and certify a crew, observe them, uh, there's a form and, and my signature's on that and it goes up to either the battalion commander or uh, the brigade commander, the DCGO, and the CG. None of those other people that are signing off and validating that these crews, the trust and confidence has been put on the MD Ops team to give an evaluation. Is this crew ready to protect America and American lives today? And we all take that very, very, very seriously. We listen to everybody. Uh, sometimes we argue, but at the end of the day, that's the question we ask. Is this, would, are you able to go to sleep tonight with this crew protecting your family? And if it's a maybe, then my, my signature is not going on that piece of paper. I'm not pushing it up because what we do is too important. So do we save lives? You bet we do. And uh, it's something that I take a lot of pride in. It's an important job and something that we take seriously every day. To learn more about the 100th Missile Defense Brigade, 49th Missile Defense Battalion, and SMDC's other unique people, units, and missions around the world, 
follow us online at www.smdc.army.mil. I'm Ronald Bailey. Thanks for listening.